Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kinder, better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. Let's change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This episode features a talk that Rabbi Friedman gave to a group of religious girls who are preparing for dating and marriage. However, these lessons and wisdom that he shares is applicable to everyone. There seems to be a problem in life, in the world today. Marriages are difficult. People are struggling. No? Have you heard? (laughs) Have you read about it? Have you heard about it? And even getting married has become such a struggle. So complicated. Maybe because we're not getting married at 16 anymore. That was so easy. (laughs) At 16, you could marry anybody, anytime. That's not so easy. So there are a few things that are important to know. Number one, we do not believe in dating. We don't do that. It's a bad idea. It's not a kosher idea. It's not a helpful idea. Dating? is the opposite of marriage. People who are into dating are never going to get married. And if they do get married, they'll get divorced. Because if you get good at dating, or if you even get comfortable with dating, you're, you're getting comfortable with something that is the opposite of marriage. And then when you try to get married, you think it's the same thing, and you get all confused. It's a disaster. So even calling it dating is so bad. We don't do that. When you're ready to get married, you will meet somebody. That's all. You're not going to date him. I heard talking to a guy, and he says, uh, I was dating this girl, but uh, we broke up. Broke up? What kind of language is that? What did you break? You met three times and you had to break up? Like you had a relationship that you had to destroy? You had no relationship. You paid for her Coke. That's it. That's 50 cents a can in some places. (laughs) Why did you break up? That's horrible. Breaking up sounds so painful. It shouldn't be. The whole idea is you don't develop a relationship with anyone you're not married to. So you got to be careful. Dating is a very neutral activity. It's not personal. 
You don't get involved, you don't get emotional, you don't get attached. You're just checking him out. That's all. What we call what we're calling dating, which we shouldn't, is really the most selfish thing you do. Totally selfish. The only purpose for dating is to check him out. You don't need to make a good impression. You're not there to 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 make impressions. You're not there to 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 win him over. You're just there to check him out. So you don't invest any emotion in it. You don't become you don't become involved. It's not that different than shopping. You're looking it over. If you happen to like him, even after a first meeting, then something is going on. But before you even like him, you're trying to make a good impression on him? Why? He's a total stranger. What do you care about making an impression on him? Well, what is he going to think? What do you care what he thinks? Well, is he going to like me? That's not your problem. That's his problem. Don't do his thinking for him. The whole wisdom of the whole way in which we go about it is designed to make everything painless. No disappointments, no hard feelings, no heartbreak, no breaking up. None of that. And the reason we do it that way is because we know and believe with absolute certainty that there is somebody you're going to marry for a very simple reason. He's your husband. So if you want to make lists of what you're looking for and what the husband should be and what he should have and what he should... If I, yeah, make lists. It doesn't matter. Your husband's already your husband and that's who you're going to marry. So what are you worried about? If that's not true, that you're going to marry the person who already is your husband, then we have no idea what marriage is. If marriage means find the guy you like and marry him, that's marriage. Sounds like a friendship. Pick a friend. Share an apartment. <laughs> That's it. That's marriage. Marriage is much more powerful than that, much more holy than that. Every marriage is made in heaven. You cannot marry someone that is not your husband. And you practically can't avoid marrying your husband. So, no matter what mistakes you make, no matter what bad impression you make on the second, third, fourth date, if he's your husband, you're going to marry him. 
and he's going to marry you. What about all the mistakes you made? He never noticed, because he's your husband, and he's going to marry you. That's what's going to happen. So if, uh, if you want to have a, a really practical, simple definition, marriage means a reunion. Everybody thinks marriage is a union between a man and a woman. A union you can have between two men, two women, two dogs, a cat and a dog. <laughs> you can make a union with anybody. But a reunion, that's a marriage. What is a reunion? The neshama that got divided into husband and wife will find each other and you will reunite. That can't happen with someone who isn't your husband. So, without any doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, you're going to marry your husband. And he is who he is. You can't redesign him. If he's tall, he's tall. If he's not, he's not. You can't stretch him. So to worry about what he looks like and what is his personality, that's, that's already done. It's done. It's already been decided. The only question you have and the only thing you need to decide, what kind of relationship do you want to have with him? But him is him. That, that's, that's done. He is who he is. And you are who you are. You can think and plan and choose how do you want to live this life? Or, or in simple words, he is already your husband and you're going to marry him. The question is, what are you going to do to him? <laughs> what, what, when you're finished with him, what is he going to be? <laughs> That's a good question. So here's another point. Because he is your husband, you can't, you, it's not helpful to find out what men are like. I don't know what men are like. How are you going to marry a man if you don't know what men are like? You're not going to marry a man. You're going to marry a husband. Husbands are not like men. Men are selfish creatures. Men are animals. Men are useless Husbands are the exact opposite. When a man becomes a husband, it's a different creature. So it's really not interesting, not necessary, not helpful to know what men are like. And that's where the secular world gets so messed up. Men and women get to know each other and then decide to get married. It, it, it's so confusing. They got used to each other as a man and a woman. Now they have to switch and become husband and wife. They don't know how to do that. They're too, they're too much in the habit of being a man and a woman. 
And so within three months of the marriage, they're fighting. They were best friends as long as they weren't married. Because to be married, you have to be husband and wife. They don't, they, don't, they don't know how to do that, and they don't want to be husband and wife. They want to be man and woman. Sometimes women get married, but they don't want to be wives. They don't want to become a wife. What's a wife? Boring miserable. So if you can be a glamorous woman, why would you become a miserable wife? <laughs> so the picture that we have in, in, in our culture, in our secular culture, the picture we have of wives is miserable. No fun being a wife. So women get married, don't want to be wives. They want to remain women. In fact, they want to remain girls, because girls have fun. Then before you know it, you have a teenage daughter who is a girl, and so are you. <laughs> it's going to be trouble. <laughs> Another thing, you never meet without a shatran. Never, 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 never. I know all the, the things they say about shatranim, and they're probably all true, but you have to have a shatran. From beginning until the chuppah, you have to have a shatran. It's such a brilliant idea. You don't ask him out on a second date, and he doesn't ask you out on a second date. Talk to the Shatchan, always. You get to like this guy? You've made up your mind? You're ready to marry him? Don't tell him that. Don't ever tell him that. Everything is through the Shatchan. I got to tell you, it's very dis uncomfortable and confusing when you tell him that you're ready before he asks you. Because then how should he propose to you? You already said yes, he didn't even ask you. <laughs> so now he's supposed to ask you? You already told him yes. In fact, you make him feel a little awkward and stupid because you already made up your mind and he hasn't. So now he feels like a dork. <laughs> don't ever do that. You don't tell him that you're ready unless he asks. And he doesn't ask unless the Shatran tells him to do it. Because the Shatran checked with you. So you will never have to refuse some guy's proposal. Which is so painful and so awkward and so hurtful. So that should never, ever happen. That's the whole Edelkeit and beauty of the system. 
Nobody ever gets hurt. And that's why we keep it a secret. You go out to a place where nobody will see you and nobody will... Because nobody needs to know that this guy went out with four different girls and they all dumped him. What are you doing to his reputation? That's nasty. So i got to tell you, it's a very painful story. This girl told me she was going with this guy and he decided that uh, he doesn't want to marry her. But they stopped using the shotgun after the first date. So how is he going to tell her that he doesn't want to marry her? Not on the telephone. Not texting. He has to take her out and tell her face to face, like a man, that he doesn't want to marry her. So they go, and he says, I decided. Uh, she said, why? Which is a bad thing to do. She said, why? He said, uh, you know, you're so skinny. And it keeps reminding me of people in the Holocaust. This girl didn't go out again for three years. She couldn't. She was so self-conscious. She was so embarrassed. She was so uncomfortable. And I asked the guy, what in the world did you do? How do you do something like that? He said, she asked me. He thinks he was just being honest and kind. That should never happen. <clears throat> the system that, that we use is very wise, it's very considerate, it's able, it works. The new way, dating for 12 hours, eight hours, that's insane. You end up being hooked on each other before you even decide if you want to get married, and then your decision is like taken out of your hands. You know, we've spent so much time, we've got so much, and well, might as well get married. Don't do that. Stay neutral to be able to think clearly. You met him, you got to know a little bit about him, what do you think? But don't feel obligated because you went out that many times. Or he spent a lot of money. The other thing is that you have to have a bit of a picture. What kind of a life do you intend to live? That's so much more important than who your husband is. Because if you don't know what kind of a life you want to live, then on what basis are you going to choose a husband? He has to fit. Fit what? He has to fit into your life. Well, what is your life? I don't know. Don't, don't, then what are you doing? So in the olden days, things were simple. I want to get married. I want to have a family. I want to have a house full of children. I want to raise them to be good Jews. I want to teach them all the right things, send them to the good cheder. That's it. Now find me a husband who will help me with that. 
today it's not so simple. So what kind of life do you want to live? Well, I'm not sure I want to have children. Oh, okay. That means a different kind of husband. I want to have a job. I don't want to stay home. I don't want to be... Uh, okay, what kind of a husband does that take? It's a different husband. And the same thing with the husband. You go out with a guy, and you say, so what are you planning to do with your life? Well, uh, I don't know. I could go on shlichus. I don't have to. I could go on shlichus. I, I could go into my father's business. I could start my own business. I could sit in Kailu. So Don't tell me what you could do. Give me a plan. Who am I marrying? A potential? So you have to have a picture. What is your life vision? And then you find a partner in that vision. That makes sense? But two people get together. What do you want to be? I don't know. I can. Uh, and what do you want to be? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. But let's get married. <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but we like each other. Don't get married. first thing that's supposed to happen when you get married is that you feel completely, totally joined. You're never, ever going to be alone again because you're married. So that feeling, I am now bigger. I am now connected. There's somebody else that is a permanent part of my life. That's, that's the most important part of marriage. It's not about how much fun you have together. It's not about how much you love each other. That's all fine. Marriage is supposed to give you something more. Something that you don't get from any other relationship without being married. And that is this feeling of being joined to another human being. Somebody is thinking about you all the time. And you have somebody that you're thinking about all the time, no matter where you are. That's, that's marriage. Do you love it? Yeah, you should love it. You love people who are important in your life. The love doesn't make him important. Because he's important, you will love him. Like every other member of your family. Because you're family, you love him. Your sister is not your sister because you love her. Unfortunately. <laughs> She's your sister even when you hate her. 
Your husband is your husband all the time, unconditionally. That's who you should love, somebody important in your life. So when you're choosing someone to marry, you're being completely selfish. Do I like this? Am I comfortable with this? Am I uncomfortable? Rubs me the wrong way? Forget it. Call it off. What about if little things bother me? So, if a little thing bothers you, don't marry him. But it's such a little thing. But it bothers you. Well, maybe it shouldn't bother me. It's just a little thing. Maybe it shouldn't. But this is not a philosophy class. <laughs> if it bothers you, don't marry him. You don't like his fingernails. You know, they're short and stubby. Don't marry him. <coughs> but isn't that silly? Yeah, you're silly. But that's you. Don't marry him. But why am I so hung up on this? I don't know. This is not a psychology class. If it bothers you, you walk away. Is that really a good reason to not marry? You don't need a good reason not to marry. You don't need a good reason. You don't, you don't owe him anything. You're not obligated. What do you, need? you need an excuse not to marry him? What, are you already stuck? You need a note from the principal <laughs> saying, I don't have to marry you? Is anything, any of this new to you? Or have you been thinking like this all along? Did your father tell you any of this? So what should you look for? You have to look for, obviously, if you're, if you're even meeting him, you already know that he's good, and that he's nice, and that he's from, and that he's, he's Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know that he wants to be married, you know that he wants to raise children, you know that he wants to be uh, a good husband and a good father. So what are you looking for? Why do you have to meet him? You can even get a picture of him, you know what he looks like. What else do you want to know? So if you sit there for hours and hours and hours talking about philosophy and what, what, are, you, what are you doing? This is not a chavrusa. Don't sit and learn a mimer together. <laughs> the only thing you need to know, I mean, a lot of things are interesting, but what you need to know, when you're sitting with him, how do you feel? Which means, how does his presence make you feel? Not about him. About you. Are you comfortable with yourself in his presence? 
Does this make any sense to you? By nature, if you're sitting with a, with a guy, you feel some kind of tension. You have to say something. What, what is he thinking? You're, you're self-conscious. And sometimes that's exciting. You like that challenge. That's not good chemistry. Good chemistry means sitting with him makes you comfortable with yourself. You're not self-conscious. You're not worried about how you look. You're not worried about whether you're saying smart things and witty things and making a good impression. He makes you comfortable with yourself. He lets you be comfortable. That's good chemistry. And the same in reverse. If sitting with you allows him to be comfortable being who he is, that's good chemistry. On the first meeting, that's not likely to happen because it's so awkward. And But the second or third, it could very easily happen where you feel just completely comfortable being you. And, and, and he is having that effect. Because normally, his presence should make you uncomfortable. Not, not in a negative way. Not you don't like something about him. No, you're, you're uncomfortable with yourself, not with him. On the other hand, if you really like him, you're comfortable with him. That doesn't mean anything. If he's a nice guy, everybody will be comfortable with him. The question is, what effect does he have on you? How does he make you feel about yourself? That's, that's chemistry. So when you come home, you say, oh, it was really nice. What did you do? Whatever, it was really, it was really good. No tension. That's good chemistry. But if you come home and you, and you say, wow, he's, he's so smart, he's so this, he's so that, he knows everything, uh, that, that's, that's not a... So what? Why are you talking about him? The question is, what effect does he have on you? So just admiring him, eh, fine. Got a reason to marry him? So that good feeling that you're supposed to have, the hamshachas halev, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gaga about it. It means I'm really comfortable with him. He makes me feel good about myself. I can relax, I'm not nervous, I'm not self-conscious. He's good for me. That's good chemistry. What do you think? This is not the topic you came to talk about, you're not interested in dating, you have no intention. The 
Did you know that this was the topic? Or? You yeah. did? Okay. <coughs> There's another thing that's really important. Always remember, ask him about his father and see his reaction. Makes a huge difference. If he has a good relationship with his father, that's a very positive thing. If he doesn't have a good relationship with his father, then you gotta you gotta think about it. Ask. Why? If he doesn't have a good relationship with his father, then then there's something preoccupying him. He's not completely free to marry you. That's why the Torah says, "Al yaziv ish as a man has to leave his mother and father. He can't be hung up on them, trying to work out the relationship, upset that his father doesn't like him. Is that a reason not to marry him? It might be. It's a consideration. So I don't know. If there's a lot of good stuff, and he seems to be able to handle it well, okay. But it's an issue. If he gets really uptight about it, whoa, that's a hot button. So you just say, you know, so uh, how's your father? Tell me about your father. If he turns red and says, I don't want to talk about it, that's a red flag. What if his father's just a bad person? That's not going to do you any good. Ah, don't don't marry him because you're afraid that he's never going to get married. <laughs> don't marry him out of Rachmanus. It's just the things you, the things you want to know. Also ask him, who's your mashpia? Why is that so important? Imagine a guy says, oh, I don't have a mashpia. So when you have a question, who do you ask? I just make up my own mind. So if you are wrong, who's going to tell you? Nobody. So if you're doing something wrong, whose authority will you accept? Nobody's. This is dangerous. No one can tell you when you're wrong. Doesn't that sound dangerous? No. A loose cannon? What if it just hasn't found the right must be yet? What if he never does? Again, again, you're being nice to him. Don't. Don't be nice. 
<laughs> when, you're, when you're meeting, it's completely selfish. Don't, don't make excuses for him out of Rachmanus. <laughs> That's not what you're there for. You're there to see if you like everything about him or you're uncomfortable with something about him. And if you find that you're uncomfortable, then the answer is no. That's why you met him. If you're going to overlook his faults, don't even bother meeting him. Marry him over the phone. <laughs> the whole point of meeting is to see if the little things bug you. And if they do, don't go there. What if that doesn't bug, bug you? What? That his relationship with his father or his mother. What if that's not a problem? It should be. <laughs> that's not a petty thing. That's a really serious issue. I mean, if he's marrying you because he wants to get away from his family, you're, you're his green card to freedom? Uh, it's not a marriage. So, ideally, every guy has to resolve his relationship with his parents before he's ready to be available to you. And to some degree, you've got to do the same. If you still have this ongoing friction with your mother, a piece of your heart is stuck. So you have to really be available to the marriage, which means you have no hang-ups, you have no unresolved relationships that you're still worrying about. Something's buzzing. Because you're not becoming a father, you're becoming a mother. Generally, a girl who doesn't get along with her mother, but gets married and has a baby, mother forgives you for everything. <laughs> you made her a bubby, that's it, you're her hero. <laughs> But with a man, it doesn't work like that. If a man thinks that his son is a loser, and then the son comes home and says, hey, I became a father. You became a father? You don't even have a job. You're crazy. What are you doing? You're such a loser. See, it doesn't help. No, it really is a very painful thing when a father disapproves of his son. It's devastating. They never get over it. Never. 80-year-old men start to cry because their father never liked them. 
it, it just doesn't go away. So you got to be a little careful with that. So if you ask a guy, if you ask the guy, so uh, how's your father? He says, my father? He's a great guy. I love him. Maybe they know that Marry him. I know I've told them to say it. <laughs> that is a very healthy person if he's really comfortable with his father. Which means that his father is really comfortable with him. So instead of making lists about your husband, make lists about life. What are the items you want to have in your life? What are the, the style that you want to have in your life? What kind of a home do you want to build? And base it on the home that you're coming from. What do you want to repeat in your mother in your mother's lifestyle and what do you want to change or be different if you feel like i don't want to be anything like my mother you're in trouble because you're not being comfortable or natural you're reacting so yes there are things you want to change things you want to do better than your mother different but not everything. Many years ago, a woman told me that her, her mother was very critical of her, which today is called verbal abuse. And she hated it. And she promised herself that she would never do that to her kids. Well, she got married. She had two kids. They became teenagers, and she realized that she's doing it to her kids. She's always correcting them. She's always criticizing. Nothing is ever good. And she remembered that she had promised herself that she would never do this to her kids. So she left. She left them. I'm not going to do this to them. So she did something worse. She left them. Sometimes, halavai, you should make the mistakes your mother made and don't invent your own. So you can't just say, I don't want to be anything like my mother. First of all, that's not possible. Not possible. You're your mother's daughter. And if you find out that you're starting to sound like your mother, that means you're normal. That's, that's a good sign. It's a sign that you really are stepping into the role of a mother. So as teenagers, it's very easy to say, I'm not like my mother at all. Of course you're not. You're not married. You're not a mother. You don't have children. Of course you're not like your mother. 
But what are you going to be when you are married and you do have children and you are a mother? How different will you be? If you can be a little better, that's fantastic. But you have to be completely different, that means you're out of control. You're overreacting and you're not letting yourself be yourself. You're just trying to not be your mother. That leaves you nowhere, totally insecure. So make yourself a list. What I want to do like my mother, what I want to do different from my mother. Both in being a wife and in being a mother. Top of the list. I will never criticize my husband in front of the children. Promise. Because if you've seen your mother do that, you know how painful it is. You don't want to see that. And you don't want your children to ever see that. father hardly ever, as far as we can remember, hardly ever called my mother in the house. So we never knew what her first name was. I mean, we, we knew from, from research. <laughs> because any time he wanted to talk to her, he would go to where she was. He never called her from another room. Because some people feel that that's disrespectful. You call a dog, you don't call your wife. You want to talk to her, go talk, go talk to her. So can you imagine ever saying in your house to your husband, come over here. Whatever his name is. Whatever your name is, come over here. You talk like that to your husband? Your kids will freak out. When you're married, you are absolutely committed to making his life easier. That's, that's, that's it. That's the project. You're not there to correct him. You're not there to raise him. You're not there to police him. You're not there to, to, to educate him. You're there to make his life easier. In whichever way he needs. So your strongest talent, your strongest uh, contribution is that you understand his need and you do it. You hear him 
Too often, wives make up their mind what their husband needs from them without actually asking the husband. I'm going to make your life easier by doing this, that, and the other. And he says, but I don't like this, that, and the other. So, well, it's good for you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're not a, you're not a kindergarten teacher. You're there to make his life easier in the ways that he wants. And your talent is, you can hear his wants. When he expresses himself, you hear him. Instead of saying, nah, that's not important. I'll do something else for you. <laughs> it's not important. It may not be important to anybody else, but to him. If you can hear that, you're a very good wife. And here's something really cute. I think it's cute. A woman in Kabbalah is Malchus. Right? Malchus is, uh, is female. And it's represented, since Malchus is, is um, humble, Malchus is represented in the dot of the uh, Nekudis. Wherever there's a dot in the Nekudis, it represents Malchus. And it's interesting that the dot can appear in three different places. When there's a dot under a letter, what is it called? What is that dot called? In the Nekudis. A dot under a letter is a chidik. When the dot is in the middle of the vav, what is that vowel called? When the dot is on the top of the vav, what is it called? Okay, so let's let's do it differently. When the dot is under the letter, it's pronounced e. When the dot is in the middle of the letter, it's pronounced u. And when the dot is on top of the letter, it's pronounced okay. So here's. When the dot is under the letter, that's a daughter. A daughter. When the dot is in the middle of the letter, that's a sister. When the dot is on top of the letter, that's a mother. So what's a wife? <coughs> all three. A wife is all three. A wife is like a daughter because you depend on your husband. A wife is like a sister because you're partners with your husband. And a wife is like a mother because you have to nurture your husband. So in a marriage, when you become a wife, you're a, you're a daughter, a sister, a mother, 
and a wife. So sometimes you depend on your husband, sometimes he depends on you, then you're his mother. Sometimes you work together, then you're like brother and sister. That's why sometimes the Abishta refers to us as his wife. Sometimes he refers to us as his daughter, Bastien. Sometimes he refers to us as a sister, Achisi, Rayosi. And sometimes he refers to us as a mother. Don't answer the question out loud. Your mother, in her relationship to her husband, to your father, was she more like a daughter or a sister or a mother? Did your mother treat her husband like a sister or a mother or a daughter? Or all three, which would be perfect. So you can actually describe it that way. My mother was so bossy and so pushy and always telling my father what to do, like a mother. I will not be like that. I will be to my husband, I will be a sister. Is that better? Different. My mother was like a daughter. My father had to raise her. She was another child in the family. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be the mother. No, you won't. <laughs> you can't go from one extreme to the other. What? Oh. Well, you're a perfectionist. <laughs> <clears throat> So what do you think? Still want to get married or? <laughs> Say something. by nature, the nurturer. To nurture is, is a talent that, uh, that is misunderstood and underappreciated. Nurturing doesn't mean working hard, like some women feel like they have to always be busy feeding their kids and taking care of the house and doing the laundry. and. And the harder they work at it, the more nurturing they are. That's not nurturing, that's just hard work. 
nurturing doesn't take any work. There are certain people who are by nature so naturally uh, nurturing that you just stand within, within six feet of them and you feel alive. And they're not doing anything for you. But if they recognize you, if they, if they are glad to see you, that's it. It gives you life. That's called nurturing. When your kids walk into the room and, and you light up, that's it. You've nurtured them. It's not a job. It's a, it's a quality of, of, of your being. The baby in the womb grows and matures and thrives, and, and you're not even aware of it. You don't, you're not doing it. It's happening. Because there's a nurturing process that is not an activity. It's not hard work. Because you know that there are mothers who work themselves to the bone, do everything for, for their kids. And their kids walk away and say, your mother never did anything for me. They say, what are you talking about? It was a lot of hard work. It wasn't nurturing. And on the other hand, you see, some mothers, they sit back, they never do anything, and, and the kids just adore them. Can't wait to come home, even after they're married for 10 years. Because just being there, in her presence, in her, in her acceptance of you, you feel like you're getting oxygen. That's called nurturing. And the same is true with a husband and wife. It's not a hard job. But when your husband walks in and, and it makes your day, that's it. He knows it. He feels it. You've made his life worth living. Just from the way you respond to him, just from the way you... you you embrace him into your life. That is a nurturing home. In a nurturing home, you walk in, nobody does anything, and you feel terrific. Re revitalized, regenerated, re refreshed, just, just from being there. So I'll give you a, pain, a painful example. This woman complained that she and her daughter don't, they don't, have a, don't have a relationship. There's nothing. So among other things, I said, every time you go out, running an errand, shopping, whatever it is, ask your daughter to come with you. She said, for what? For what? For nothing. Just ask, just ask her to come with you. Why should she stay home alone and you're to be with you? She said, what are we going to talk about? 
said, you always prepare speeches for your daughter? <laughs> what are you, preparing a speech? What are we going to talk about? Why do, why do you have to talk about anything? And why can't you talk about anything? What's the difference? That discomfort is the exact opposite of nurturing. Nurturing means when we're together, that's it. It's the best. For what? For nothing. For nothing. What are you going to talk about? Who says you have to talk? Just be with me. That's nurturing. But if the daughter feels, every time I'm with my mother, I have to do something. I have to perform. I have to impress her. I have to say something right. I have, that's, that's so uncomfortable. That's not nurturing. You have to be nurturing. So I know fathers who are so good at this. No matter what's going on in the office where he works, when one of his kids walks in, he lights up. He lights up. Oh, hi. Then he goes back to work. <laughs> There's nothing to say to He's not going to do anything with it. But, oh, you're here? I feel terrific. But I'm busy right now, so. That's called nurturing. I know in business they tell you that if you want to um, win over a customer or uh, use their first name, call them by their name. That makes it personal. It makes it nurturing. People love it. You see the presidents do that. They're trained so well. When they're doing a press conference, there are a bunch of reporters sitting there, and they you know, raise their hands and they want to ask something, and the president calls every one of them by their name. They work hard at that. Because if you call them by their name, maybe they won't ask such embarrassing questions. <laughs> maybe they'll like you a little bit, and they won't insult you so badly in public. So that's how you go about being married. And that's how you go about getting married. The next thing is, how do you raise your kids? But we won't talk about that. Anybody want to pass dating? Important questions. What do you tell? How much do you tell? At what point in the relationship do you tell about yourself? How much do you tell about yourself? What do you have to tell about yourself? And so on. Anything you did wrong, or any bad news, something bad happened to you, and you, you're past it, don't ever bring it up. It's gone, it's over. Don't ever mention it. Your husband does not want to hear anything negative about you. 
Don't make it hard on him. Most people say, but I want to be honest. Don't be honest. Be considerate. Much more important. If you're not over it, then, then you got to say, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Well, if you think you are, you're not. If you think you are, then don't mention it. It's an ongoing condition. Yes, that you have to. So it's better to lie than to tell him? No, it's mm. not safe. Mm -hmm. Always, even when he's married to you. Mm -hmm. um, your life experiences make up who you are, so even if you pass it, it's going to make the question is, what does it do for him to know this? The fact that it makes you feel better because you're honest, it's a little selfish. Makes you feel better, makes him miserable. Like what if you can't feel comfortable with somebody if they don't know? That's a problem. It won't be shocking in a marriage, like all of a sudden it's coming back. Like it, it won't come back. You don't confess your sins to your husband <laughs> because he can't forgive as easily as we would like. There was this non-from non couple, and the guy said to his wife, so who were some of your boyfriends before we got married? She said, um, don't, don't do this. You don't want to go there. We don't want to go. It's not right. I said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, I had girlfriends. I'm sure you had a boyfriend. Who was it? She said, don't do this. He kept after her. And he kept telling her, I'm okay. I'm fine. I know. It's, it's perfectly. It's normal. Just tell me. I'm just curious. He wore her down, and he finally said to her, look, don't, don't even tell me the family name, just the first name, who? And as soon as she said it, she regretted it. She knew she had made a mistake. And she said some name, I said, Larry. That was the end of their marriage. For months, anytime she said anything to him, he, he would say, Fine, so you should have married Larry. What would Larry have done? So go back to Larry. It was it, three months later they were divorced. Now here's the thing. He knew that she had boyfriends, everybody did. But until, it came, you know, until she put a name to it, he was able to handle it. Once there was a name, oh, there was a Larry, that's it, couldn't handle it. Does that mean that they weren't right for each other from the beginning? No. Nope. It could be that they were really supposed to be married? No, oh, I... It doesn't, doesn't mean one way or the other, but... But it, it does show that it's better not to know. It's much better. And to her, Larry was nothing. He was gone. He was just a memory. He was nothing. But he couldn't handle it. So be considerate, not honest. Honesty is not the best policy. Considerate is the best policy.
So anything he would rather not know, then don't say it. Certainly during the dating, during the engagement. Now, if there's a health problem, which is an ongoing health issue, then of course you have to say, but not before you know that he's serious. Is it okay to want your husband to be musical or sporty or something like that? Sure. It's not going to make or break the shidduch, but if that's the style you like. Uh, you marry your husband, but don't we have many soulmates? Soulmate means a single soul divided into parts. So yes, there can be more than one Everybody has more than one soulmate. Because an Anishama divides into many parts. But one of those parts is your husband. Not any one of them. One of them. So it doesn't make any sense to say, uh, you're bashert to marry one of seven men. What, what are you telling me? Who has more than seven options to marry? <laughs> Who has seven men running after them to marry them? So, so it's like, it's not, like not saying anything at all. It's not useful information. You can marry one of seven men. Thank you very much. I only have two guys interested. <laughs> So there's only one person you're going to marry. Does your soul have other parts? Yes. And in case, God forbid, of a second marriage, you're going to marry another part of that soul. But it's already been chosen which part you're going to marry. And that is your husband. I got people who say, you know, if you do an Aveda, then you, then you ruin your Shidduch, and you don't get your Zivug. If it's Bashert, it means that nothing can change it. If it can change, then what does Bashert mean? You're going to marry this person. Maybe. So, so what did you just say? Well, what if someone, like, remarries or doesn't get married? What? Yeah, if you remarry... It means that you divorced a part of your neshama, you divorced a soulmate, and you're going to marry another part of that neshama. But he was destined to be number two, not number one. So every marriage is a soulmate, because every marriage is a reunion. So what if people that don't get married? To not get married is an option. You have Bechira. Because Bechira means choosing to do a mitzvah or not to do a mitzvah. So if you choose not to marry, that's, that's Bechira. Yeah, so some people can choose not to marry and they'll never get married. But if you are marrying, it's not a mitzvah to marry one guy over another guy. 
So the choice of who you marry, the Abrish de- decides, not you. You don't have Bechira. So Bashert means you don't have Bechira. So how can your Aveira change it? You can't change what is Bashert. If some small thing during a date bothers you, and you decide to marry him anyway, does that mean you're just married the wrong man? If you are married, if you are married, it makes no difference how you got there. This is your husband. It was Bashert. But if small things bother you, and you get married, are those small things going to stop bothering you, or will they bother you much more now that you're married to it? That's the risk. If it bothers you a little bit, and you're not even married, how much is it going to bother you if this is your life forever? It bothers you that he has a pimple on his nose. Once you marry him, you're married to that pimple. It's going to bother you less? (laughs) That's why you have to be careful. I can't tell you how many difficult marriages um, I talk to, and they all say... I never liked the idea to begin with. Even under the chuppah, I was thinking, this is wrong. That's terrible. Isn't bringing up marriage on a date the same as telling him that you're ready to get married? Or the shatran tells you when to bring it up? No, you always talk about marriage, just not to him. Of course, you say, I want to get married, I'm going to be married, I'm going to raise my children. I'm marrying you. They haven't even asked me. (laughs) So yes, you can talk about marriage. Don't tell him you're ready to marry him if he hasn't asked. But what's if he asks you, what do you want to, like... What type of house would you want to raise? Where do you see yourself living? That's fine. That's, but that's in... No, that's, that's theoretical. That's general. But what would you do if he asks you, if they, you've gone already out seven times, okay. and he says, so what do you think? What do you think we should do now? <laughs> He's asking you to propose. <laughs> Your answer should be uh, grow up. <laughs> be the man. Be a man. Don't ask me. Is marrying someone you don't really know so long a good thing? Because people change as you get to know them more. Exactly. After you're married 10 years, you find out, whoa, I never knew this guy the first 10 years. And then the next 20 years, you'll always be finding more. So how long do you want to get to know him before you marry him? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? 
it's good. It's good that you don't know everything about him, and he doesn't know anything about you. You grow together. That's the whole idea. What do you do if you go out with a guy and everything is going great? Only thing you'd consider is about chesidishkeit. Because you're on a higher level than he is. There was, there was one time by dollars, two women went up to the Rebbe, ten minutes apart. And they both asked the Rebbe the same question. The first woman went up and said, I'm dating a guy. Um, he's not as firm as me. And I don't know if I should marry him. And the Rebbe said, of course you should. And you'll make him more firm. Ten minutes later, a girl came up and said, I'm going out with a guy. He's not as firm as me. What should I do? The Rebbe said, if he's not as firm as you, what are you even thinking? You gotta know. You gotta know who you're dealing with. <laughs> there isn't one answer to, to everybody the same answer. The Rebbe knew the first girl, she'll make a mensch out of him, no problem. The second girl, if he's not so from, she's not gonna be so from. So what's the question? So you gotta know who you're dealing with. If you feel that you're more chiddush than than the guy, but he has that interest and that warmth and that. When he becomes married, when he becomes a father, he'll want to be more. He'll be more. If it sounds like he's slipping and going the other direction, forget about it. It is very important that you be able to look up to him. If you can't look up to your husband, then you can't stand him. The only time you're willing to be a helpmate is if you admire him. If you don't admire him, why should, why should you follow him? So he shouldn't look up to you? No. And that's why everywhere in the world, girls marry a guy taller than them. Every, what is it? It's like a universal law that nobody ever challenges. Physically well, physically is like desperate, you know, like at least <laughs> stand on a box or something so I can look up to you. No, you have, to, you have to admire something in your husband. He has to be stronger than you, smarter than you, more capable than you, more... He shouldn't admire you either. Like, why is it a contradiction? I admire him. He can still admire me, you yeah? He can, but he doesn't need to. He can, he can be a good husband without looking up to you. You need for him to appreciate you, not admire you. Of course, everybody likes a compliment. So if he says to you, wow, you're so smart, that's, that's nice. But if he never thanks you for all the things you do, he doesn't appreciate, that's painful. 
A woman needs appreciation more than she needs compliments. A husband needs compliments because he needs to know that he's bringing something to the relationship. He is the provider. So like, for example, making money. If he's supporting the family, he feels like a man because he's bringing something. He's contributing to the family. The wife is the family. She wants to be appreciated. So if you give your husband a compliment, that makes his day. If he thanks you for breakfast, that makes your day. But you have to be able to look up to him for something. Otherwise, you can't stand him. He's just a guy in your house. So sometimes you go out with a guy and you say, wow, he's such a, he's such a nice guy. He's so thoughtful. He's so nice. He's so gentle. He's so, don't marry him. That's like a puppy. He's harmless. He's so harmless. <laughs> That's why you want to marry him. You got to come back and say, He's so much bigger than me. He's so much stronger than not only physically. He's so much more confident than me. He's so good with people. He's so which you're which you're not. Then you have a reason to marry him. But the fact that he wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> It's like it's an ideal situation where he asks you to marry him and you're really surprised because he can marry anybody. Like, why would he want to marry me? He could marry anybody. That means you really admire him. That's great. Because he should feel the same way. She could marry anybody who would want to marry her. But that's not because he admires you, but because he's so comfortable with you. He trusts you. He appreciates you. So women don't want silly compliments. It, it gets annoying after a while. But constant appreciation never gets old. Women hate to be taken for granted. So, so one of the most painful things you can say to your husband 
Never mind, I did it myself. You, you, you hear that? Never mind, I can do it myself. That is... Until the concept of mushbia, I mean, mushbia and the collar. Hmm? No? The concept of mushbia and the collar. He has to feel like a mushbia. But if your husband asks you to make eggs for breakfast, and then he says, oh, never mind, I can make it myself. Great. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> I'm not insulted at all. But if you do make him eggs and he doesn't say anything, that's not nice. Taking you for granted. So, we should all have good news. And good means totally good. Not just a little good, totally good. We should have great marriages, we should have great families, great children, the way it's supposed to be. When, when did it become so complicated? Save the questions? Good question. It's the year of Hakel, which I think means that marriages are going to be easier because Hakel means togetherness. This year is a year for togetherness, so everybody should make their little Hakel. <laughs> What is it? Get together, men, women, and children. Come on, what does that sound like? That's not a marriage? What is it? A man, a woman, and a child. What is that? A baseball team. <laughs> That's marriage. <clears throat> I want to ask something, even though I'm not any part of my marriage. But you're talking about a man having a spiel. How much do you girl? It's very helpful, but it's not as dangerous. Would he ever ask you? So even if he wouldn't ask you, but just meaning in the whole dating process, who who are you talking to? I'm asking on behalf of all of you, by the way. Thank you. Well, there are two things. One thing you ask a guy: Who was your mashpia? In other words, who educated you? When when did you learn Hasidus? Who was your, and then there's the ongoing. Who do you go to for a problem? Who can call you up and say, stop it? You're acting like an idiot. Nobody? So asking the, the guy who your mashpia is, it, is self-interest. You want to know, because otherwise you're in danger. If he wants to know who your mashpia is, it's more of a question of like, who do you follow? Who inspired you? What style? You know? But not that he's afraid of you without a mashpia. Right, but is the shotgun enough to speak to all along, or is it just as important to have mashpia, the girls have mashpia? It's, it's useful, it's not that... Right. It's more for yourself. 
for, for the guy, you need, to, you need to know his mashpia for yourself. A woman should have a mashpia, not, not because of her husband. Do you think it's better to get married younger or? Yes. Younger. <laughs> you guys are already old. <laughs> I mean, it would change everything in our whole community. If you're getting married younger, your parents have to be more involved. They have to support you for a couple of years. It changes the whole dynamic. But getting married young is nothing better. It's, it's, I don't know why we get married later. I don't know why we can't get married at, at 18. It's not going to get a job. Hmm? It's not going to get a job. At 18? Yeah. But you see, every... I'm not going to ask what guys would call Every, every... Go ahead. Is there a good reason for someone to say, no, I'm not always going to marry, I want to make some money first so I can have a proper home, like I can support my life? I mean, Rambam says a man shouldn't get married until he's built a home. <laughs> you know what that would do to us today? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would ever get married. <laughs> but uh, it, is, it is reasonable, it's sensible, it's responsible. But getting married young is more valuable than any of it. When you get married young, you discover life together. You don't come with a, with a finished life and then try to match them and, and, uh, and blend them. Your life, your life is together. It was, you never had a life apart when you get married at 18. So it, it, there's a lot of advantages to it. Even having babies at 18 is so much healthier. You're stronger, you're more, you have more energy, more idealism. But it worked in the olden days because you lived in a shtetl. Your parents were always there. You had extended family. You weren't alone. Today, if you get married at 18 and go out on shlichas, no way. And you have no parents around. And parents don't want to support their kids today. They're having a hard enough time supporting themselves. So in the olden days when they got married at 14 and then had a baby, who, who supported them? Obviously the parents. But it was easier also. They gave you a room in the house, and you lived there, and they gave you a piece of bread twice a day. That called support. Today, if you want to support your kid, you know what the rent is in Crown Heights? And a piece of bread twice a day? No way. You have to have sushi once in a while, you know. See, that's an interesting thing. How do you get mature? Why is it that back then people were so mature at 15? 
because they knew they're getting married at 18. That's why. You don't become mature if you don't have to. So as soon as you need to become mature, you become mature. If you don't have to till you're 35, hey, who's going to bother? It's, it's really, we're such an immature generation of people. I got 30-year-olds are such babies. hard to imagine, but uh, Rivka was three years old, and they asked her if she wants to marry Yitzchak, like her opinion was really important, so a three-year-old. <laughs> huh? So many legal problems with that. <laughs> and what, she, what was she doing? What was she doing when the Leza, Eliezer met her? Giving water for <laughs> She was a shepherd at three? <laughs> She was shorter than the sheep. <laughs> so obviously, it was a different world. But, but normal. It wasn't, it wasn't miraculous. They were human beings. Somehow they, when you have to, you become mature. Kids in Russia, under communism, Lubavitcher kids, they were brilliant. They were so mature, because they had to be. They went to communist schools, but they had to keep Shabbos without letting people know that they're keeping Shabbos. They were so mature about it, because they had to be. In order to be accepted into a cheder, the underground chadorim, they had to be tested by a few mashpiyim, and what were they tested in? Not how much they've learned. They haven't learned anything. They're going to start. They're coming to Cheder. They were tested to see if they were mature enough to refuse to give out names of teachers if they were tortured. Ten-year-olds were accepted into the yeshiva. This wasn't 3,000 years ago. I remember the story of this one kid. Every Shabbos, he came to school with another, with another Band-Aid. First his arm is in a sling, and then it's in a cast, and then it's in a... And of course, the teacher knew what he was doing. And she kept you know, criticizing him for it, until finally one day, the principal called him in and said, we know what you're doing. You're going to stop this. Who told you? not to write on Shabbos. He said, my grandmother, because she had already passed away. He said, my grandmother. So the principal says, you see, old people who are dead used to believe that. Today is a new world. We don't do that anymore, the superstitions and the religion. and We're enlightened. We're, stop it. 
starts to cry. He's eight years old. He starts to cry. The teacher said, where are you crying? Uh, he was more than eight years old. He belonged to a communist youth group. He had to. So he starts to cry, and the teacher says, why are you crying? He says, because in the communist youth group, we were told that a good communist never lies, always keeps his word. And I promised my grandmother I wouldn't write on Shabbos, and now I can't be a good communist. Is that brilliant? So the teacher had to let him go. because He didn't know what to do with him. A good communist keeps his word. You become mature as soon as you have to. And that's why so often in the, in the non-Jewish world in the, where, where teenagers become pregnant and they have a baby, that changes them. They were irresponsible, they were suicidal, they were crazy. They have a baby, they become, they become good mothers. When you need to be mature, you become mature. So yes, it would be nice to get married young. And maybe one day we'll go back to that. You know, in many other communities, they still marry young. I have cousins in Borough Park. They're married at 18. And they look so cute. <laughs> I know some people are, they don't become mature. Just, yeah, just yeah. having babies. Yes. <laughs> Some people will just <laughs> never write. <laughs> At 40, they're not much better. But you know what's funny if a girl that's 19 gets married to a guy that's 19? Like, you don't say anything that's a bit wrong. Like, interesting. Oh, <laughs> like, it's cute, but. <laughs> Yeah, in our community, it would stand out as weird because, because it is. Cause, you're an exception. But in a community where everybody's married at 18? Even a guy that's like 29, a 19-year-old and a guy that's 29, that's also... That's worrying so a ten, <laughs> a ten year difference in age? Not good. Not good. In some... Yeah. In some communities, they do that. Dafke, 30-year-olds marry 16-year-olds. 30-year-old men. Yeah. Never the other way around. 30-year-old <laughs> men marry 16-year-old girls because you cannot get married before you're financially established. That's, that's the community. That's, that's the culture. So when do you get financially solid? Not before you're 30. And then the 16-year-old thinks that they're getting the best guy in the world because he has a house and he has... Okay, it's a different culture. We had a class in Beis Chana years ago when we had all ages together. 
we had 14-year-olds and grandmothers in the same class. And there was a woman there from Morocco. And uh, there was this conversation going on about um, teenagers getting pregnant and, you know, like horrors. And, and this woman is sitting there like, what? I got married when I was 15. I was pregnant. Did I do something wrong? <laughs> Just a different culture. I don't know if it's safe to have kids that young. It's probably safer. The problem for me. What? 15. Probably what? You imagine a 15-year-old has a child. It's so perfect, because they can be children together. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like it's not like she's forgotten what it's like to be nine. Yeah. But but they're so patient. Fifteen year olds with their babies, like the best babysitters in the world, are fifteen. Because there's no issue besides for our community of marrying someone as your age or younger. I mean, it's got to, everything else has to be perfect, but it's not a deal breaker. He's still in school. That's a problem. Who's going to support them? <laughs> That's why it doesn't work unless the family is behind it. In fact, it takes a village. You gotta have the whole village behind you to make it work. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world. Let's change.